Welcome to Beyond the Pink Cloud, the podcast where we talk about moving forward in our lives through recovery and navigating the world with grace, ease, and humor. We've got tools and strategies from the experts to help you live with less stress and increased ease. Let's get into today's episode. I'm so glad you're here for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. It is I, your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. This is a great episode with Wendy Taylor today. Wendy's a dietitian who shifted into working more with intuitive eating and emotional eating. So she's got a lot of really wonderful things to say about her own journey and about approaching food from a, a healthy perspective. So I think you'll get a lot out of the episode. In other news, I want to let everyone know I'm teaching a free class on Thursday, April 8th. It's at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's going to be webinar format via Zoom, so you do need to register in advance. The class is called Get, Get Wild in Sobriety, and it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited about it. We're going to work with coming into our bodies, cultivating calm really coming into a place of centered connection. And then from there, explore ideas like healthy assertion, really what it is to be in touch with our inner wild and to let our our life force, you know, f- flow freely through us. So it's a really a fun class. We do a lot of experiential practice. And there's, of course, some educational pieces too. I really do my best to not make it a neuroscience lecture because <laughs> I can really get carried away with wanting to explain every little detail. But I think I have struck a, a pretty nice balance of some interesting information and then some experiential practices. So you will leave feeling differently. That's the biggest thing on my horizon for now. So that's next Thursday, April 8th. And I hope you join. I'll put the link in the show notes so you can click and read some more about it on my webpage, on my website, and then um, also just register there. So I'd love to see you all for that. And otherwise, it's warm here in San Diego. That's been really nice. Uh, almost hot, like sort of freakishly warm, but it's it's a nice change of pace. I hope you are all well and happy and healthy. The self-love project is going strong. If you want a community of support with practical strategies for growing self-love, then please come on in the group on Facebook. There's a link to that in the show notes as well. And as you listen to this episode with Wendy, I think it's such a nice way to, to practice some of the somatic techniques I talk about, like what goes on in your body when we discuss certain things around food. I know when I was recording this, I was doing that because there were a few times when I would just notice little things come up, you know, around food and eating and my own relationship. That's, I think at this point, pretty healthy, but still those little, those little inkling patterns are in there. So if you notice any of that, be gentle and kind with yourself and and just notice, do your best to be curious. And with that, I will, I will stop talking and have you just go and enjoy the episode. Please tell a friend if you like the podcast, as always, please like, and subscribe. If you can leave a review, that means so much to me and really does help the the podcast to grow so we can continue to have all of our amazing guest experts on and spread their, spread all their knowledge with us. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Wonderful. So uh, thank you to everyone for being here and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. We are broadcasting this interview live in the Self Love Project Facebook group. And today I 
am really honored to have with me Wendy Taylor. And Wendy is an MBA. She's a registered dietitian and food body image coach. She's working to redefine the stereotypical idea of a dietitian. She works with women to find freedom from diet brain and helps navigate them in their journey to unlearn everything about dieting and uncover their inner intuitive eater. She loves helping women that feel trapped by dieting in the scale. And her mission is to help them improve their relationship with their body and food so that they live and be the woman that they were created to be. And I love your bio, Wendy. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Can you hear me? There was a little lag, I think. It, it, there was a little lag, but I could hear you just fine. And I think we're back. Great. <laughs> yeah. Thank so, you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. And I, I'd love for you just to tell us a little bit about yourself and your own story as, you know, from being a dietitian to moving into this more non-traditional approach and just tell us kind of what prompted you to, to build your practice the way that you have. Sure. Yeah. My journey and philosophy has definitely changed um, throughout the years. I became a dietitian of 20, 2001, 20 years ago. So things have changed a lot since then for me. I now practice using a weight neutral approach um, and health at every size approach with my clients. So it's, it's a little different. We didn't even know what that was 20 years ago. So I, what that means is I don't practice using restriction or using weight as a goal for your health. So um, intuitive eating is, it's honestly the polar opposite of dieting. And I didn't really understand it at first when I heard this term intuitive eating several years ago now, but at first I was kind of like, how, how can you get healthier and not focus on weight? But after I read the book, intuitive eating, I began to research its principles. There's 10 principles and then put those principles to work in my own life. And it started to make so much sense to me. And I can kind of relay that in my own personal story kind of here today. And and I hope it makes sense for others that are listening because I've been practicing now for four years, diet free. My Facebook group is ditching diets together. So I know it's not easy to, to put weight on the back burner and focus on your health in a different way. But I guess I didn't realize what diet culture even was or how embedded I was in it as a dietitian. And we have a lot of dietitians in my group now. And it's interesting because they actually are experiencing a lot of the things that I was going through. Um, And there's a lot of shame around, around this work because you feel like you you should know everything. You shouldn't struggle with thoughts about your weight or your body. You should look a certain way um, because you're a dietitian. And so there's all of that. And I think if you would have asked me more than four years ago, you know, if you were to look at what I was doing as I was known as the pantry doctor, when I started my own practice and business and went online and, you know, I would have been, if you Google some things, you'll probably find out there that I was telling women how to get a flat belly or how to have, you know, uh, do an intense reset for 10 days and um, um, meal plan to lose weight and bikini body workouts and all of this stuff. But I'm doing something completely different now. 
And I guess I just really had this, uh, I call it like a come to Jesus moment where I was sitting (laughs) there and it was like weight loss, (laughs) right? Weight loss is not the answer. It's literally the opposite. Everything I learned in school is teaching people disordered eating. Now, I understand the science. We were chatting before we got, we went live. Like I understand it's good to understand all of that science. And what I love about intuitive eating is it heals your relationship with food. It focuses on health in terms of like self-care. So you're, you're really making choices that are kind for you and your body, not, not through restriction and not through beating yourself up and, and not shaming yourself. And it's, it's really calling out like what diets are. And then after you heal that relationship, which takes time, sometimes many years for people, but you start to layer in gentle nutrition. The idea of gentle nutrition is like, okay, after I know that all foods can have their place in my life and there's no hierarchy on the food chain, this food's better than that food, good versus bad. It's interesting to me, like this part of intuitive eating, I think, is people think they're going to eat donuts all day, but that's not really the case. And wait, we're wait. really afraid to gain weight. Wait, can we pause on the donuts thing? So, <laughs> so as what I just want to understand, I'm hearing you correctly, is that like there's a misconception around this concept of intuitive eating that someone might think like, oh, that's great. I can eat intuitively and I want to intuitively eat donuts all day. Is that along the lines of what you're saying? It's in donuts. Okay. Totally. Because I just want to be clear. There's this, there's a bit, one of the, the, the first, the beginning stages of, of learning more about how to let go of this concept of like the scale and weight and accept and heal your relationship with food is that we have to give ourselves full permission to eat. Well, yeah. if you've not given yourself full permission to eat for years for decades it can be extremely scary and extremely hard to do on your own so this is when this stage of the process is when the health professional really really helps because it can turn into like a free-for-all you know of of donuts it's like well I can eat everything I want and then it's like well I'm getting all the weight well now I gotta find another diet or I've gotta Mm -hmm. go keto again like that's not being kind to your body either so it's navigating through the process in a way that we learn how to listen to our body and understand what it's telling us um, when we're truly hungry, when we're full. And you have to be very careful because chronic dieters want to make it the hunger fullness diet. And that's not what a healthy relationship with food is either. You know, we talk about like you can really be physically full on a grilled chicken salad with a ton of veggies. Yeah. But what if you're not mentally full after mm-hmm. that? And I think plenty of women that are listening, because I know I can, I can relate to, you know, being this dietitian that always has the salad and you can never have a creamy dressing and, you know, dip your fork in it. Like <laughs> you leave that meal and you're thinking you're wanting something. Yeah. And now I know if I want something, I can have it. Because what happens when the dieter wants something they go eat a rice cake. They eat a pack of rice cakes and, you know, they're looking for all the healthy things to fulfill that mental craving that they left that meal with that they didn't really satisfy. So there's something, my favorite principle in the book out of the, you know, intuitive eating all the whole process. My favorite principle is the satisfaction factor 
you have to have that mental satisfaction. And if it's like a piece of chocolate, cool. Like eat the piece of chocolate. Is it better to do that than like go eat around your craving? And then you're like, Mm -hmm. what? I eat all those things. They didn't really satisfy me. Yeah. Back to the whole like permission stage. I was just having a chat with somebody yesterday. She's in my group and she's been going through this process now for a while and she still struggles with, with the scale and fear of gaining weight. And I think sometimes people can try to make intuitive eating into like perfection too. And it's not perfect and we're never perfect. And I told her it takes a while and it takes time and a lot of compassion. But I did, I did tell her like now as an intuitive eater, I can tell you there's a point when like, there was a point when all those foods that I restricted were more enticing to me. It's kind of like the red truck. Somebody, I read this in a book recently and there's a ton of kids, two, three-year-olds in a room and there's all kinds of toys. And someone says, you can play with any toy in this room. It was actually some kind of study or something. You, You can play with any toy in this room you want but you can't play with the red truck. And what happened when they left the room, all the kids ran to the red red truck, except for one. Hmm. And he didn't want to deal with the red truck. And the reason behind that was he had the same toy at home that he played with all the time. Hmm. So to me, that's kind of a really good concept when you're talking about this is like, if you have said, I can't have X, Y, Z in my house because I'll eat the whole thing. And we just, that's off limits. I can't have that in my pantry or my house. And you're trying to make permission with it. Some of those foods you fear the most, you're going to, with every exposure, it'll get easier and easier, but you might eat more of that thing at first when you're trying to gain food confidence and over time, it'll lose its shininess. It'll become like the red truck. Hmm. And now being an intuitive eater, I probably eat, more fruits and vegetables and fiber and things like that because I know I can have a cookie when I want afterwards if I want it but there's no like restriction behind it so it takes a while to get there like I said it's a process but then it's like you look back and you're like why did I ever waste my life and the years of my life obsessing over this thing Obsession just gets so painful, you know, whether it's food or I, I work frequently with sober women, um, food or alcohol is such a difficult one. And mm. it's, I think the obsession of the thing is just so much worse than anything else sometimes. So I'm curious, I understand that it's a process. And even in listening to you talk, it's making me think about my own relationship with food, which I think is pretty healthy these days. I don't know that I intuitively eat, but I, I think more or less, like I sort of eat what I want. I took your quiz online too. That was fun. And I'll recommend everyone go to it it said I was something like eat without guilt. It had a picture of someone eating pizza. (laughs) Oh, okay. We'll see. Yeah. There's different eating personality types. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you'll have to like tell everybody to go take the quiz because definitely I can tell you, um, while I'm an intuitive eater, most days, I'm not a perfect person and we all tend to fall back to like whatever that, that is. And for me, I have to be really intentional about some things and make those choices out of self-care because I know they're the best things for me because 
I tend to be the unconscious chaotic eater. And that means if I don't think about now, there was the Wendy when she was the pantry doctor and type A and perfectionist and not intuitive eater way of handling her unconscious chaoticness. And then there's the new way of handling my unconscious chaoticness. But I can be the type that like if I don't prepare and I, there's probably some women in the group that'll be like, yes, this is me. Like you go, go, go. And the next thing you know, you haven't eaten. It's been hours. You're hangry and you're reaching for what, like, whatever the next thing is. Yeah. And when that happens, you tend to overeat and you t- because you tend to eat too fast because yeah. you're starving and, you and the world's falling apart. Where maybe what you would have made. Yeah. Yeah. So now old Wendy would have was like, you know, meal prepping for hours on a Sunday. Now I'm spending time with my husband. You know, we get out and go enjoy outside, outdoors. You know, new Wendy knows I need to go to the grocery store at some point. I need to make sure that I have some meals planned this week. Not every meal. I leave room for flexibility. You know, so in my food confidence club, we have this new thing called, it's a gentle nutrition community Trello board. So everybody, you can put your meal ideas in. And, and I would suggest like for unconscious, unconscious chaotic people to plan two or three meals and maybe a snack or two a week so that like you can have enough food in your house so that you don't become hangry and you do have options. There's variety for you. It's flexibility. It's not this like meal plan where you have like chicken, sweet potatoes, broccoli, every single day. Every day I have like six cups of this amount of this. Yeah. It sounds so exhausting. Like I have friends who meal prep and I'm like, it's too, I can't, I personally cannot do it. So I sort of admire it, but I'm also like, it's too, like, that would just it just stresses me out thinking about it. I can feel my heart rate like elevating. Yeah. Um, Have some things you enjoy and then leave yeah. some room for flexibility to where like, if you're like, okay, my husband said it's night. He's like, oh, there's a fresh market across the street. So that is convenient for us. Um, I will admit it's not always convenient in the grocery store. And, and when it wasn't convenient for me, I, I would find things like, okay, I'll order my groceries and have them delivered. And that saved me so much time. So there's this like flexibility that we have now didn't have that before. It was like you said, like the meal planner with all the sweet potatoes. And honestly, if you look, if I look back at that now, I didn't have near as much variety in my diet as I do. And so that's the biggest thing I think intuitive eating, I guess the misconception is that it's eating donuts and pizza all day long. I have more variety in my diet and really what is the key to nutrition and and health? It's, it's more nutrients. It's more fiber. It's more, well, if you're eating more types of foods and a wider variety, you're going to be healthier. And I think about so many people on diets and all they're doing is cutting out. Yeah. So my hope is like, how can we add more Hmm. back into your life? I like that. It's a really nice approach, especially when you think about adding nutrients in, like how can I add more color and variety Mm -hmm. for anyone who's, for anyone who's just starting this and is finding 
it really difficult. I mean, I feel like there's so many pieces to this. There's actually just the physical act of like listening to your body, which when we have been on different diets or struggling, you know, with body image for years and decades, it can be really difficult to even know, like, am I, am I hungry? What am I even hungry for? And then it's also, there's this whole piece of unwinding or getting rid of some of these, you know, past beliefs about food and about nutrition. So for anyone listening who finds the, this concept a little bit overwhelming, um, where do you recommend that someone's like start, like first steps, what would you recommend for somebody? The first thing that I would do is start educating myself. Um, I think knowledge is power when it comes to this stuff and there's plenty of resources. Actually, I don't have a link for this, but if people join my Facebook group, they can, they can find me, they can DM me like, because I can send them a list of resources of places to start. And the number one resource I, I would suggest is the book intuitive eating and the, the 10 mm-hmm. principles just to familiarize yourself with it. And there is, there's a lot of more information than there was. You have to be a little careful. Um, you're getting your information from now Absolutely. Um, because diet culture has underst- <laughs> understands now that intuitive eating is a, a, a kind of trending word and topic. And so if I guess I can say that if it's telling you, if what you're reading is telling you that you should cut out things that you should weigh, measure, count anything, then it's a diet. So like, learning about what is diet culture. And we do this uh, challenge two times a year live and, and, and anyone can, can do it at any point. Um, but the first thing we do, it's called the ditching diets together challenge. And the first thing that we do is we look back over our life on diets and we look back at like, when you started your first diet, when did you have your first diet thought? And then we look at the trend over time, however many years that that is. And you can see that with every diet over time, there's a trend up. So our set point goes up. So I asked the question, like, do diets really work for us? And so I would educate myself. I would read intuitive eating health at every size is something that I read later on. And, you know, it it goes a lot into like weight discrimination and health versus our weight and really how messed up the healthcare industry is with tying our weight to our BMI. That has nothing to do. It was actually developed by a mathematician in like the late 1800s or the 1900s and he was studying white males and it had nothing to do with health. So it came into play with, with health when a pharmaceutical company with a weight loss drug in like the eighties or nineties and the insurance company decided to come up with a good number and the CDC, you know, it was, it was all, they came up with this number and this idea and I think it was like 28 or 29 was the norm. But they were like, let's round it to tw- uh, round it down to 25 and make it a good solid number. And you look back and you're like, this is determining like our health as females. And, you know, when you think about it, it came from a mathematician who was studying white males in the 1800s or 
yeah. early 1900s. This doesn't so make sense. Crazy and archaic, even because people I used to, we were taught that in, you know, in my doctorate program too, of like, well, the BMI and then this, I'm like, but it's so dumb. It doesn't take into account, <laughs> like even muscle strength. I remember in high school, there was a, a girl there who was a gymnast and she was like a tiny thing, solid muscle. And she was categorized overweight by BMI. And I had a health teacher at the time who even called it out back then. I'm like, this is just a ridiculous measurement. We have to teach it. But like, look at this example here. This mm. isn't something that you should base your decisions on. There are so many other factors to, to take into consideration. I love I that I- advice. Me. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, I, 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 same. I, I stood on the, we had to do it three different ways in college. We went underwater and then we did the, the biometric, you know, and then we stood on, you know, it was the whole point of it was to show us that there was such wide variation, but it's hard to stand on something for, and you're in college and you're a dietetic student and it's telling you, here's the shame again, right? We have to be and look a certain way. Mm -hmm. And it's telling me that I'm, in the obese category. And you know what? I, I really don't like that word either because there are so many women, so many people, different shapes, size. I like to, like, like a dog, a, you know, dog breed. There's chihuahuas, there's great Danes, there's greyhounds, there's pugs. Like, and they can all be healthy or they can be unhealthy no matter what their size. Health is nothing, is not related to size. I mean, I could go into another whole tangent with you on like studies in correlation versus causation, you know, I'd love that to sort of thing. I'd love to see those though. And I can post them up in the group because I post research articles every week and we're focusing on nutrition this month. So if you have any good links, please send I them do. my way. Okay. But I, I think I think too, especially in the United States, because we are, you know, this melting pot and we have so many cultural variations that we, it's not like we're all, you know, from this same lineage where there is more of a consistent size and shape that you might see in some other countries, but here it's so diverse. There's so much diversification. I think it's crazy that we do tend to have this, or the diet industry tends to have this, like, this is what health looks like, or this is beautiful. And then we're, it's like, we're all brainwashed with this our whole lives. And it's like, but wait, that's, those aren't my genes. I'm never going to look like that in a million years. No. Yeah. And, and, and it's funny because I know you said you're in San Diego. I'm near Miami, cultural, cult, all kinds of people. And why is it, this is going to get on a soapbox, but why is it that, <laughs> that diet foods and diet culture come down to like just this small range of foods that are considered healthy? It doesn't, and it so doesn't take into account culture. And I was having this discussion with somebody the other day, but it's just like diet culture is, is, is not considering so many things. Yeah. It's so much more than just grilled chicken on a salad or an apple. Yeah. I had a call with somebody the other day and she was like, I grew up on rice. I grew up on rice and beans and, and all of this stuff and, you know, different foods that you don't see. Because diet culture says this is healthy and this is on the meal plan. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really important piece to bring in the cultural consideration as well. And what are mm-hmm. you, you know, what are your comfort foods or what did you grow up with? And what does give you that sense of that mental satisfaction that you were talking about earlier? So I think there's a huge cultural component in that. Mm. 
Um, yeah, and there's another um, book out there that's interesting, and it's more body related. Mm-hmm. So, book wise, intuitive eating, health at every size, um, the beauty myth is an interesting one to look at. I've heard of that book. <clears throat> more in, along the lines of body image, mm-hmm. it, it talks about the history, and it kind of starts back into the World War, like World War II, when when women had to go to work and it's interesting how women were seen. And so this idea of how women should, should be and should look. And, you know, it, it talks about how, you know, she went back to work and, and TV was coming into play and advertising. And so, all right. So, so basically what happened is that advertising TV media started coming into play and women were an accessory and they were, they were always portrayed as like the secretary or, you know, someone in the office or, and then it talks about flight attendants and how flight attendants, you know, not now you can go on a plane and see all shapes and sizes, very diverse flight attendants. But like when flights became a thing and flight attendants were a thing back in the seventies, sixties, seventies, eighties, flight attendants had to look a certain way and they aged out. Yeah. So that book is very interesting. And it's also, you know, heaven forbid we as women get a gray hair now, we're, we're worn out, but you know, men are gray and they're silver foxes. And so it kind of talks about the beauty industry a little bit too. It goes into that. It's good. We, we should be talking about it and just, I think, continuing mm-hmm. to reestablish our standards of what beautiful is. And I, I love what you said about the flight attendants. I actually was a flight attendant for a year and I remember in our training, they had all of us stand up and then they read the requirements for, for what flight, the requirements for flight attendants back, I think in the sixties. And at the end of it, only one person was left standing. It was like, sit down if you don't meet this. And she was a friend of mine, but she's a tiny, tiny woman. I think she's less than 110 pounds, you know, small stature in the whole. And it was a room of like 40 people, you know, men and women, diverse shapes and sizes, but that's how narrow that field really was. It was a really interesting visual experiment to be a part of. So, yeah, I mean, it's messed up and it's, I guess this will kind of lead into my next question of what, what are some last week we worked or or last week, last month or the month before we really worked on negative self-talk in the group and ways to start changing that. And I think this really can tie in so much to our attitudes about food, about our bodies um, what are some ways that you recommend or that you've personally have found helpful to start shifting some of that negative self-talk around eating, you know, our relationship with food, body image? I think the first step is to become aware because we have like 60,000 thoughts running through our head a day. And if you think about that alone, how many of them are tied up thinking about food or about your body or, you know, the food rules that we have in our head, 75%, maybe. I mean, that is a lot. That is a lot of thoughts. The first step you can do, and I would say is, is take, take a look at what you're consuming because what we're consuming drives a lot of that, like the beliefs and what we're thinking. So like I said, get the books, but look at social media, look at your feed I think it's really interesting because around, you know, the holidays, I always get this like uptick of all of these diet culture things in my feed. And, and now I notice it, but 
I wonder, you know, how many years was I like jumping to order this or that, mm-hmm. you know, there was one I posted in my group. It's like, I can't believe this. You know, I realize it now. So I call it out and um, I'm aware of it, but it's like, you know, do this for 10 minutes a day and get the booty of your dreams. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, like, what is that I one be- thing? <laughs> really? You think if I like squat on that machine, but it, yeah, how old is that going to get? You know, also, I, I, I grew up in the, in my mom was a Weight Watchers queen and we did the sugar busters and I watched my mom hop on diet after diet after diet and struggle with her weight and her body image her whole life. And, you know, and then here I was requesting a thigh master for Christmas, my senior year. Like I was very entrenched in diet culture and had disordered eating for a long time. And I think detoxing your feed is important and refilling it with things that are positive um, accounts that you can hashtag intuitive eating. Now you have to be very careful because there's some things out there that are not necessary. Intuitive eating official is what I would look at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and start to, to get, you know, read the books and fill your feed with some positive stuff, find support. So, you know, if food and body is something you're struggling with, find a group. Uh, there's a, there's a bunch of groups out there for support people that will are in the same boat you are and they're wanting to support each other and they're wanting to work together on this journey. So um, you don't have to be alone. I think that's the thing is in a, in a world where we have, you know, almost, what is it? 200. It's going to reach like 200 billion dollars by $200 billion, the diet industry. So it's like, we're not, we're up against, you're going to see it every day. So it's like, it's almost like you have to consume, consume this information, be around the right people. So you're filling your brain, your mind, your head with, with, with positive thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have, um, from the sober community, I know sometimes women will say like, Oh, everyone on my feed is posting about getting drunk for St. Patrick's day or whatever. And I'm like, just get, get rid of those people, but surround Mm. your feed with other, there's a huge online sober community. Just see that, like, just do that for yourselves. And in one of the groups that I was speaking in a few weeks ago, someone mentioned that like even the body positivity movement on, you know, Instagram or social media was triggering for them that they continued to kind of like see these images, but either, you know, internally created the message or received a message from them that once I lose weight, then I can start being part of this body positivity movement. It was like, they couldn't, they didn't like the images. Yeah. It is really triggering. So I can tell you, I feel the same way. Um, I just, I just did my chat. It's so, so interesting. I just chat. I do coffee chats um, in my Facebook group every Monday. And this one was on body neutrality. It's like, why can't we just be neutral? Why does everything have to be negative or extremely positive? Because mm-hmm. the extremely positive makes me want to gag too, yeah. honestly, because I, 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 I tell, I'm not happy with my body every single day day I do I don't wake up and say I love my body I don't I don't know that I'm ever going to I accept my body but I don't know that I'm ever going to throw on a thong and go running down Fort Lauderdale Beach and and 
have Instagram snapshots. Great if you do, but that was like triggering for me too. And it's almost like, okay, if you're on this road to accepting your body and having better body image, the one thing you have to do is grieve the body that you think that you should have. Mm. Like the body that diet culture has told us that this is the way that we have to look. That's profound. It's, it's hard, you know, because, but it's something that has to happen. I think even before you heal your relationship with food, because that's that piece of like the scale and weight to separate the scale and weight. I mean, you have to go through so much mentally to like accept this fact that to accept it comes back to acceptance, but holding space and being like, it's okay to take time to grieve that. And and I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of that kind of, kind of relates with the stuff that you talk about in your group too, with, with alcoholism and things like that. It's like, definitely. Yeah. So acceptance is huge. I think, I think even on, you know, my bad body image days, because I've accepted my body and the body that I'm in and the body that, you know, I was created. This, this is my body. I'm accepting of it now. I know that my body doesn't define my worth. And so I'm always talking about like, how do we separate this, your weight, really your weight from your worth Mm -hmm. coming at it from like the perspective of, I stepped on the scale today and I wasn't happy with the number. Like someone sent me a message the other day and said she was crying in the kitchen, making pancakes for her family because she got on the scale before she made breakfast and she wouldn't allow herself to eat with her family. And sad. Yeah. So I just want women to not like wait to live their lives. Yeah. It does take up years and and decades. Like you said earlier, when I even look back at my own journey, I'm like, God, it was such an obsession. And so, so painful for really a long time. And I'm sure so many women go through that. I think most women Mm -hmm. to some extent go through that. That's half the population. I mean, that's significant. So working on coming to a place of acceptance, I think is, is huge part of this process to even be able to understand the whole like heal of the relationship with food. It has to start with you and, and getting out of that extreme black and white thinking, Mm -hmm. which is diets. It's like, you know, rules don't eat after this time. You can't have this, that, you know, um, yeah, all it's all rules. And, you know, I'll see things online or have people ask me and it's, Now that I'm out of it, I look back and I'm like, it's nuts. You know, like people, like I can't have a banana because it's got too much sugar in it. So back to like reframing things. That's a food rule that I just threw out there. There are these food rules that we've learned if we've been on diets for decades and, and we've, we believe like if I eat this banana, it's got too much sugar in it. But so what I usually do with clients is let's, let's take a, a list of your top fear foods. And usually, I mean, usually it's, it's not a banana. It's one at the top. It's like, usually 
uh, you know, carbs or something like that. So like, I don't want to eat a bagel because it's too many carbs. So we reframe it. Like, what is this bagel going to do for your body? Mm -hmm. And when we're working on like exposing yourself to the bagel in a way that tastes good and feels good to you, it's not, oh, go eat a bagel every single day now, every single meal. It's like, I want you to incorporate a bagel into your week and come back and tell me how that experience was for you. And there's, you know, a a homework assignment that goes (laughs) with the bagel. Mm -hmm. But in every time you're like, you know, but I realized that bagels give me energy to get to my workout. You know, it could be, you know, I realized that a banana is full of fiber and prebiotics and it's good for my gut. It, it helps feed the healthy bacteria. You know, we can learn things and, but I look at it, I'm like, you know, we're really, we're really like demonizing a banana here. Yeah. Put this. I got this meme, my cat makes crazy faces. And so I snapshot a picture of him and, and they, they, they tell you, you can't eat fruit. Right. So, so you're, you're demonized by the fruit, but then they sell you on all the, de- the, you know, the detox smoothie, yeah. whatever it is like juice cleanses, you can't eat fruit, but you can have all the juice cleanse. So it doesn't even make sense, you know? No, it doesn't at all. So I think you touched on this, but we had a question come up in the group yesterday and I I like it because I think a lot of people are in this boat where, how about if there is like someone is really taking a look at their self-esteem, their relationship with food, but also recognizing like, Hey, I've gained 10 pounds in the past five years. I feel better without those 10 pounds and wants to also have weight loss as part of the overarching goal. Like what's your advice to anyone who might be in that situation or what's your take on that? I hear this a lot. And what I would say is to just take weight out of the factor Mm. and separate weight from your health. And let's focus on your health. You did mention that you felt better. So I would explore like why you felt better. And like, there's a lot of things we explore in this group, but it's like health wise, what's going on in your life? Like, and why do you have these thoughts of like, I need to lose weight. So I have a worksheet that helps walk people through some of this when they're trying to process, like how to separate their weight from their worth and their health. So yeah, that's probably like a whole session we can have to talk about like, what are those thoughts that are driving the weight loss? We talk about weight bias a little bit. And like that kind of comes down to like this idea that we all have to be a certain size or the idea that we have, we have to be X, Y, Z because we want to fit back into these clothes. I guess I would, I would start with like, what is driving? What is the root of that? Like want to get back to are you unhealthy now? Did, you know, is there something going on in your life that like, is there a health problem or is it just, I want to lose 10 pounds because, you know, I, I have a belly roll now and, or something like that. We focused on our body more. And the reason I always go back and say like, look, we have seasons. It, and, and if you didn't have the scale, would you even notice I guess it's another question because we have seasons of life as women that work. No one is ever the same every single 
day and we, you know, have babies and we have hormones and periods and menopause. And it's highly unlikely that you're going to be the size you were in your twenties in your sixties. And so it comes back to that word acceptance. It's like, where are you at with your health? When you focus on weight, it can become a downward spiral. So Mm -hmm. let's make a body kindness decision to focus on something positive and work towards better health without weight involved and let the weight just fall where it may, because sometimes I think you'll find that, and this is a conversation I had with with a girl in a DM this week. And she said, you know, I've been on the intuitive eating journey and I have gained weight this past year. Doesn't mean that everybody's going to gain weight. Now it's like, where are you at in the permission stage and how long did you restrict? Are you in the process of allowing yourself to have more of those foods and know that that's okay. Because when you come to this side of it and you're not, they're okay. And you can take them or leave them. Your body will settle out to its, where it's supposed to be like, so you might experience gain. You might experience loss. You might stay when you're on your intuitive eating journey. It's like, it's like you're coming home to your body. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answered your question. I think, (laughs) I think it did a nice job and it reminds me of what you said earlier too, about, you know, adding things like you know, nutrient wise, community wise, maybe even are there activities you enjoy, like going for a walk or yoga or whatever it is, you know, instead of this idea of like restricting what can we take away? I think that's really profound. I really like that perspective. It feels so much more expansive to me, even as we talk, than this idea of like restriction or watching, or have to do these special foods at this time. Um, all of that feels so limiting and so it I does. really like the idea. Yeah. And it doesn't feel good. Like I could feel myself like mm-hmm. clench up. Um, I will say I've been thinking <laughs> yeah. about donuts a lot through our talk. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I have this, this one donut. I really, so I'm like, what's going on with my, my brain. Um, I know I do like a donut now and then. So thank you so much, Wendy, for coming on today and talking to us. Is there any other piece of advice that you would give anyone listening or, um, please let us know where we can find you. Yeah, totally. Come and find me, um, in my Facebook group, it's ditching diets together. Like I said, I'm live every Monday and I love to come on like this. I I do something like this too. So, um, we might have to chat about you coming into my group too. And, you know, we will be on YouTube. So, so yeah, ditching diets together is a good place to, to land because I'm there and I'm interacting with people. I'm also ditching diets together over on Instagram. So wendytaylor.com is my website and backslash quiz to take your food personality quiz. And then once you find out kind of where you're at in this process, what type of eater you are, there's some suggestions for you. That's great. I really recommend the quiz. It's very short. And it was interesting. Even the questions really made me kind of pause and think of, you know, how do I respond to these things? What is my relationship with food in these different circumstances and situations? Um, So yeah, it's fun that you have that. It's kind of a neat way to get to know ourselves and build some of that awareness. Thank you so much for having me on here, Alice. This has been so much fun just chatting with you too. 
Yeah. I'd love to have you back. I have all these other questions for you. I want to talk more about gut health, <laughs> which is one of my favorite topics. You know, we didn't even get into gut health, but that, a lot of my clients uh, struggle with gut health. And, and I, that's what I did before as mm-hmm. the pantry doctor. I, I have a background in, in, in gut health and my approach so much different now. I could tell you that 90% of our gut issues are solved by eating more not less. It's so interesting. Yeah. We'll have to have you back to just, and maybe we can just do an episode about gut health. Cause I would love to love hear your, your take on it. Yeah. 